Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Love Ocean Allison podcast? Consider supporting the podcast via my funding platform at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this month's episode. This episode's ocean advocate is Lauren Blickley. Lauren is a marine biologist based on Maui, creating waves of change when it comes to single-use plastics. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Listeners, to give you a little bit of background on how Lauren and I got connected and how she's joining me today on Ocean Allison podcast. I think, Lauren, you started maybe following me on social media and then I started following you back. And, you know, we're just kind of keeping up with what each other were doing in the world of ocean conservation and, and ocean science as well. But then... Just a couple, like a month ago, really, or maybe two, uh, Lauren reached out to me and was like, I'm coming to Florida to visit my parents because her parents live right near my parents. Probably listeners, you know by now I'm in Florida. So anyways, Lauren came to Florida and we ended up meeting up at the beach and of course did a little beach cleanup and got to, you know, have a really great conversation. And so it was super great to meet her. So I'm very excited to have her on the show today. And hopefully listeners, you guys will be inspired by Lauren's story as well as learn a lot because she has a wealth of knowledge on all things single-use plastic and plastic pollution from the research side of things to the policy side of things to the public outreach side of things. She really kind of does it all. So um, let's dive right in. So Lauren... I want to start out by just asking you, I I really, I like to ask this question of almost everybody. I think it's, I think it's really interesting and really important because obviously, you know, anybody that I have on this podcast is deeply connected to the ocean and very passionate about something to do with the ocean because that's what this is all about. So, you know, I like to understand a bit more of where my guest's connection to the ocean stems from you know, where that passion really came from. And, you know, for some people it's early in life, for some people it's later in life. So Lauren, where did your passion for the ocean and just love for it really stem from? It's a great question. I actually like talking about it a lot. So thanks for asking me. Um, You know, it's interesting because my dad grew up on a farm in middle Tennessee and my mom grew up in Southern California. And my dad, when she met him, um, they actually ended up kind of by fate in middle Tennessee. And I was born in Nashville and, you know, started my life landlocked. And my mom, when first met my dad, you know, he didn't really swim. He had been to the beach once in his life. Um, and she was just a total, you know, water baby. And she made us when we were growing up, my brother and I, you know, get into swim lessons. We had a pool in our backyard And we were always at the beach, like every spring break and Christmas and holiday vacation. My uncle and grandparents lived just south of Daytona Beach and would we'd always be there. And I don't 
you know, really remember that first moment, but I just was always attracted to the water. We had a boat that we took out on the lake. And so there's always water in my life. And then it was around fifth grade and this was still in Tennessee. And my science class had like a week on whales. And I just remember we went out to the playground outside and we were measuring and showing the measurements of a blue whale and humpback whales. And I was just amazed. I was like, I cannot believe these huge animals live on this planet still today under the sea. And it was just this world, I guess, of mystery for me that I wanted to explore. And I eventually got to move to Florida and made me really happy. But my brother and I just started, you know, from from an early age, um, getting surfboards and not half knowing what we were doing out at the beach and boogie boarding. And eventually that boogie boarding grew into figuring out how to stand up on a surfboard. And from there, it just sort of snowballed for me. But, you know, I was always outdoors. Uh, my parents, even if we weren't at the beach or camping, they were teaching me a love for the outdoors. And by the time I was like 18, getting ready to go into college, I just remember being down in Florida and, and on the beach and all these sand dollars, you know, from living in Florida that the sand dollars will spawn during the summer and all these sand dollars washing in and just all these, you know, visitors on the beach stacking up their sand dollars that were live and getting ready to take them home. And I just remember like freaking out and being like, mom, what do I do? What do I do? And she's like, go talk to him. I'm like, who am I to talk to them? Like, who am I, you know? And and then just went up and started talking to people and say, Hey, you know, like these are live animals. And I think from there, that was where it was kind of like that, that activist side of me, that policy side of me. Um, and just realizing that, you know, we, we've got to protect what we love. So it's been an interesting journey for me. Yeah. And so you, you know, obviously had a strong connection with Florida and, when, you know, like you said, you were getting to be that college age, you decided to go to University of Miami, which I think, you know, was probably a really great fit for you at the time, got to be in Florida and uh, study the ocean, because I know you majored in marine biology. And then from there, you actually went on to get your master's degree at University of California, Santa Barbara, or UCSB. Can you tell us a little bit about what your master's research was about yeah, so I was graduating undergrad and at a point where I was kind of like, ah, what do I do now? And didn't know if the hard science route was exactly for me. And so my advisor had suggested I look into management and environmental science and management and branching out a little bit. So I found Bryn and it was a really good fit because it expanded my personal bubble, I guess, of, of knowledge and then just thinking with a much broader perspective. And at Bryn, you're really focused on combining the science with that human element and that people element. So my research actually was looking, I, we, we do group projects at Bryn because part of it is learning how to work in a team and, and work with other people. So we do group projects instead of individual thesis. And my group project actually looked at how to reduce ship strikes in two whales in the Santa Barbara Channel. And we had to evaluate the different options that would actually reduce ship strikes to the whales. 
but at the same time, look at the economics. And if you reroute ships, how much more fuel is that going to be? Uh, if you slow them down, how much more costly is that? So evaluating the economics versus the policies to actually help decrease whale strikes. Uh, so that was a little bit of what I looked at, but that intro into how can we bridge science and policy and humans and animals and bring it all together. That sounds super interesting. And it also sounds like there's a little bit of a common theme of whales so far in your story, right? Just from that, what you were doing in elementary school with measuring out the whale sizes and then you know, when you were at UCSB, your group research project was having to do with whales as well. So from there, you went on to, again, with whales, you uh, eventually found yourself in Maui, where you are currently living, and uh, you're working with the Pacific Whale Foundation. So what was that like for you to go from growing up in Tennessee and, and realizing that you had this love for whales and being so amazed by them at a, at a young age. And then one day you're actually working on a boat off the coast of Maui, teaching other people about humpback whales. What was that like for you when you realized, wow, I'm, I'm doing this? Yeah, it was really funny because it, I never really thought about that there is this common theme of whales throughout my life. And now I don't even study whales. Um and, you know, I've kind of always been that like underdog champion. So maybe I, the whales kept bringing me in and having that common thread. And then I'd kind of just be like, oh, well, you know, I really like mollusks or I really like these other things that don't get all the limelight. Uh, but it was really neat once, you know, moving to Maui and yeah, I worked on a boat and got to share my knowledge and my passion with other people and really using that charismatic animal like a humpback whale to get people stoked on ocean conservation. And it was all those things kind of coming together and being on the boat and talking to people and talking to everyday people, right? Like people who may have this maybe their first time at the ocean. And sometimes as ocean scientists, we can forget that there's people who have never seen the ocean before and don't understand it or maybe are afraid of it. So I think that was a really good way to remind myself like who our audience is when we're talking as scientists and when we're trying to change public perceptions and public views. So it was really neat to just put all of that sort of together and then not only be out on the ocean, but also be connecting people to that ocean environment, which is kind of, you know, been that rest of my thread since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so um, to kind of divert away from whales, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, you're very, very focused on plastic pollution, marine debris, single use plastic, whatever you want to call it, you know, we have all these names for it. But, you know, basically, you're very focused on how plastic affects the ocean and how it affects us and the research side of things and the policy side of things and just the public perception side of things. So when did it become, I maybe don't want to focus on whales anymore. I want to focus on plastic pollution. After working on the boats at Pacific Whale Foundation, they have a nonprofit arm and I was able to start working as their conservation manager and leading conservation um, and outreach programs. And part of that was save the whales. But what I started noticing was that people have like a really hard time finding something tangible in terms of saving the whales, unless you're stopping whaling. 
But when you started to look at all of these different things that are impacting whales, you know, it's it's coming down to ocean pollution, overfishing, these other issues that a consumer can have a direct impact on. And I initially just started saying, you know, I got sort of roped into the tobacco-free beaches and parks initiative here on Maui. And a lot of people don't realize, but cigarette butts, they are the most commonly polluted item uh, littered into our environment. And they also are comprised of plastic. The filter is plastic. So we do consider them a, part, a type of plastic pollution. And once, you know, I think the, the plastic pollution had always been there for me, but I really started to get into, wow, this is an issue that I can really promote that people can take individual action for. And every you know, just just one person, one item every day can make a huge difference. And that was what sort of led me to start being more proactive, I guess, within the marine debris community on Maui, which was, I guess I got started in 2013. And it's been really amazing to watch how even in these past five years, how the community for plastic pollution specifically on Maui has grown. And I started getting out to some of the beaches that are away from the tourist spots. And I think that was when it was like, whoa, like we are really being impacted and heavily affected by this plastic pollution issue um, on our beaches that, like I said, are, are really exposed to our heavy trade winds and to the open ocean. So kind of a couple of things. It was just, this is an issue that that individuals can actionably address. And it's a huge problem that's affecting, you know, our entire ocean. Mm -hmm. And ourselves, obviously. And ourselves, yeah. yeah. And so uh, in 2013 is really when you started not only really seeing the uh, power of, you know, what you could do with this issue, but you also started actually collecting data and conducting research in regards to plastic pollution around Maui. So can you talk a little bit about the research that you've done, you know, since 2013 and, and uh, till present day in terms of like, you know, collecting that data, getting papers published, um, you know, the, the science side of things? So in 2013, I was approached by another nonprofit, and they were really trying to push this tobacco-free beaches and parks policy. And it was like my first time advocating in front of the county council and testifying. And one of the council members said, well, this sounds really great, but do you have data from other places to show that this policy is going to be effective? You know, and, and it was a really good question because the reality was, is that while we know the policies do decrease uh, these particular types of plastic, we didn't have hard scientific data to show that. And it was a lot of um, people just saying, yeah, you know, it decreases. We don't see it as much as our beaches. And I think for me, knowing that this was not the last type of plastic we were going to be trying to address through policy measures, I said, you know, we really need to we need to know what's on our beaches. Like, what is on our beaches? How much do we have? Where is it coming from? And can we create policies that are effective? And so that's really what led me to saying, okay, we need to establish some baselines. And from these baselines, we can get a much better idea of the policies that we need to create and how to target those. So that was the first step. 
is creating baseline data. And uh, that started in 2013. And we have really different environmental factors depending on what side or which side of the island you are on on Maui. So our North Shore is very, very exposed to very large waves and very heavy trade winds and also the open ocean. Our south and west shores are typically on the leeward, well, they're the leeward side, but they're typically uh, much more sheltered, smaller waves, uh, a lot less wind action, and not necessarily as much open to the open ocean currents. So there's a lot of factors going on. So we picked three different beaches on Maui, one on that really exposed North Shore, and then one on the west and one on the south shore, and started collecting data to better understand the debris loads and what we were finding. And on our very exposed North Shore, we found that the vast majority of our debris items were hard plastic fragments, most likely, you know, coming from the ocean. So fragments that we could not, we can't tell what it's from or where it's from, but it's a hard plastic fragment that's just, you know, over time breaking down. We also found a lot of fishing gear and a very high percentage of plastics coming from the ocean or outside of Maui. Versus on our leeward shorelines, a lot of the debris was coming from local sources. So we had a lot of cigarette butts, a lot of single-use plastic like straws and cups. So it's a really interesting way to say, wow, there's different drivers. Even on this one island, we're getting a lot of different inputs and sources of debris. Okay, so you collected all this baseline data. You've had a paper published in Marine Pollution Bulletin in 2016, which is awesome. You know, you, you mentioned the Tobacco Free Beaches initiative that you were very heavily involved in. And then kind of from all of that, you um, were very influential in about a year ago now, I guess, in, in 2017, Maui passed a polystyrene ban and listeners if you don't know what polystyrene is it is essentially styrofoam it's just the fancy word for styrofoam um so maui actually signed a polystyrene ban and uh, that's going to be going into effect in december of this year 2018 so lauren what role did you play in getting that polystyrene ban put into place in in maui um I don't want to toot my own horn, but uh, I made sure that bill got through. Let's just let's just say that um, it was really an interesting journey. It took us over three years to get this bill passed, and there was a really strong core group of us: another marine scientist named Cheryl King, and a couple of community members um, who just really pushed this bill through and we really didn't let up. Um, it was really interesting to me because as you guys may or may not know, Hawaii was the first state to ban plastic bags, uh, but we did it county by county. We only have four counties here in Hawaii. So our policies can sort of act a little differently, but we passed it county by county. And when and I started- That was in 2011, the- right? Um, Maui's went into effect in 2011, and I think it was by 2000, Oahu's, Oahu's still dealing with things, so I think it was 2013 or 14, where they were all finally passed at the county level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when we went to start our polystyrene bill, I was thinking, okay, great, this is a shoe-in, we're going to be fine, we passed pass plastic bags, and that's doing really well, and this is going to be great. 
And it wasn't. <laughs> it was, like I said, three long years of fighting really hard. And it was really interesting because on our very first meeting, we had an individual come from California and he was uh, representing the American Chemistry Council, which is the lobbying arm of the plastics industry. And I think that was a huge opener for me because it was like, wow, the plastics industry is really scared of what we on the island of Maui really acting as this flagship in terms of addressing plastic pollution because we're getting so much of it on our beaches and we are sort of setting this example. And it was amazing to me how many thousands of dollars the American Chemistry Council spent lobbying against our bill. And luckily we had council members um, who are thoughtful enough to think into the future and to realize that we can make these changes locally and that it's not going to put our businesses out of business and that it's going to be a good thing long term. Yeah. And I I think that what's really interesting and, you know, when we were talking and we were doing our beach cleanup when we met this summer, I think what was really interesting to talk with you about in terms of, you know, for instance, getting this polystyrene ban passed, even with so much opposition from, you know, really large and affluent and powerful organizations and companies is that because Maui is a tiny island and it is in the middle of the ocean right um that the politicians there that you know were tasked with the job of you know signing this bill or not they're 100% going to be connected highly connected to the ocean just because of the geographical situation that Maui is in and also you know the the main revenue source of Maui being tourism can you comment a little bit on just kind of the smallness and the huge connection to the ocean that Maui has do you think that that really even with so much opposition helped the politicians in Maui to realize like yes this is something that we need to do we definitely have a unique here in Hawaii because we we are an ocean people. You know, Hawaiians are ocean peoples and the foundation and the culture here is founded on, you know, this just sort of unsaid respect, I guess you could say, for both the ocean and the land and for your natural resources. So there are these words like kuleana, which means responsibility, and malama, uh, which means to take care of, that you just see everywhere. And so it is this really unique situation we have. It was part of just the community coming out and saying, we want these policies. This is what we're dealing with. We need to address our plastic footprint. This is bad for our marine life. This is bad for our coastlines. This is bad for our community. And that significantly outweighed you know, I think kind of even backfired on what the the mainland lobbyists were trying to do, which was to come in and, and sort of spread misinformation. And I do think that because we are so tied to the ocean, that at the core, our community leaders and our community just understands uh, at, at a deeper level than I'd say a lot of places, mm-hmm. the importance of being sustainable and passing these particular policies. Yeah. And I think the other really interesting thing when, when I look at Hawaii 
altogether and then you know Maui specifically in terms of these single-use plastics that you know are used and the need to really just really just get rid of so so many to all of them um, especially in Hawaii is because it's an island in the middle of the ocean and everything you know all those single-use plastic items are brought to Hawaii and then Mm -hmm. there are not really uh, you know in terms of polystyrene there's no recycling facilities in Hawaii to recycle that material and you know many other plastics you know maybe can be recycled on Hawaii but most aren't and you know there's there's all these problems like because Hawaii is just these this tiny little chain of islands in the middle of the ocean you know it it adds complexity in that way as well of like getting the plastic to the island and then getting rid of the plastic um, even more so than you know somewhere that is a uh, more (laughs) land-based land-based location Um, do you do you feel like that also played a part in in helping the public as well as the politicians to realize like yeah we need to make some changes here because this side of things also isn't working. Absolutely. And what's been interesting, though, is that it it was a really, you know, kind of core small group that worked really hard for that, um, that particular bill. And I think a lot of policies come down to that, like, you've just got to have this group that's completely dedicated to it. But talking and, and speaking to the point that you brought up is that during outreach now, I've I try to figure out different ways to connect with different groups. And especially here in Hawaii, I've been really encouraging people like talk to your grandparents, talk to your parents. Like there is a time before plastic there was and we're, we're getting ready to we're losing that knowledge um, because in a few generations, there, there's not going to be a generation that didn't have plastics at every turn. But Hawaiians were and are so sustainable and we've had to be sustainable because they lived on an island. And so before we had, you know, tin foil, we had tea leaves. You know, I just went to a restaurant over in Lahaina the other day and they wrap all of their sandwiches and to go and taro leaves and banana leaves. And it's just a really neat way to say, okay, what did we do before this? Because there was a time before plastics. So absolutely, I think that sort of tapping into that, those, that, that past knowledge and bringing some of that back is also an important step. And it's a really great place to do that here where you have to be sustainable because we're on an island and, and we, you can't just toss it and say it's going to be recycled because we can recycle very, very little. And now with China not taking our recycling or anybody's, uh, it's, it, the amount that we can recycle has been, you know, decreased even more. And then in terms of the polystyrene ban, again, listeners, styrofoam, um, and that's not all styrofoam. It's, you know, it's really speaking to to-go containers and styrofoam that restaurants would use that would, you know, they'd be giving it to customers. And then the customer, for instance, takes it to the beach to eat their food. And then, you know, it ends up on the beach and in the water. Um so with that polystyrene ban, you know, you obviously were very, very, very heavily involved in, you know, the policy side of that and getting that passed, like you said. But in terms of the research side of that, you're also heavily involved as well. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, the the data that you've been collecting before the, the ban got passed as well as, uh, you know, after the fact now? Yeah, so... 
the bill goes into effect on December 31st of 2018. So right now we are actively, um, I have one study site and I've got another researcher, uh, Cheryl King, who's at a, a study site a couple miles away. And we're both constantly um, and going out on monthly surveys and collecting data and in our transect areas. And what we're trying to do is have at least six months. We have this previous baseline data, uh, but we would like to get six months of data before the bill goes into effect and then six months afterwards. And really, again, trying to, what my goal is, is to show that these bills are effective, they do work, and then be able to turn that around and use it as a study that can support bills elsewhere, elsewhere in the state of Hawaii, but also elsewhere um, wherever they're trying, particularly on the mainland and in areas where they need that data to be supporting these policies. So we're kind of at the beginning of this next study, um, but hopefully uh, we didn't have this data when we passed our plastic bag ban, and it would have been really powerful, I think, to inform policies elsewhere. And now we're hoping to get the data so we don't run into this, this problem again. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's such a great point that you bring up, because I think that what you specifically are doing and, you know, the other people that you've mentioned and, you know, many others in Hawaii that are playing a very influential role in not only educating the public about plastic pollution, not only doing the research in regards to plastic pollution, but, um, you know, also being on that on the policy side of things and getting materials that just don't need to be used banned. And so I think that, like I said, you bring up a really good point in terms of being an example, setting an example for other cities, other towns, states, countries, whatever it may be um, around the world, because obviously plastic bag bans or straw bans or polystyrene bans, these are all, you know, big hot topics right now. You know, many, many municipalities all over the world are, you know, trying to get them passed or they are passing them. And there's so much going on in the world with that. Is it really about like trying to ban every single single use plastic item? For you, like what does it signify to get polystyrene banned in Maui? Like what's the <laughs> what's the goal yeah. there really? Because it's not just about the polystyrene. Right. Um, you know, ultimately I don't want to be just focused on banning things. We we've taken these steps to quote unquote ban items because individuals and communities and restaurants and businesses haven't taken those steps. Um, but ultimately, you know, what we're trying to encourage is individual action. And it's through that, that stewardship initiative, because um, our goal is, is to connect people to the ocean and to care about the ocean. So then they're going to do the right thing for the ocean and just banning single items. Uh, it's, it's not really time effective. It takes us as we found years and it can just be a very long process. And, and sometimes people, there's loopholes. <laughs> yeah, there's, yes, there's loopholes. And then people say, okay, well now we don't have straws or now we don't have polystyrene. So we're all good where the reality is, is that we live in this plastic world. And so we, you know, for us, the ban is one, one aspect of many aspects. Straws are one aspect. So I say that they're great to get people on board and they're great conversation starters, but ultimately we should be all looking at our individual plastic footprint 
and taking those personal steps. It's a personal journey. Like tomorrow, you're not probably going to go plastic free, but you, you start taking those steps and then you start realizing, oh, okay, I could, there's an alternative to plastic bottles for shampoo. There's an alternative to my plastic toothbrush. And I think that's really what we're trying to encourage uh, and raise awareness about. So the bans are, are, and I think it's also, I think it's also on a business level because if, you know, for instance, a business that's on the beach in Maui no longer is allowed uh, to have styrofoam to go containers and maybe customers realize that that's, cool and then maybe that business um you know stops having plastic straws and stops having plastic cutlery and you know maybe the business starts to make other changes without it necessarily being law but because it's good for business in more ways than one and they feel good about it too absolutely i think that's a great point and we've seen a lot of businesses here on maui we have the ocean friendly restaurants program that's grown really big and that is uh, an initiative and a voluntary initiative that restaurants can get on board with. We've seen them actually print things out that says, skip the straw, save the sea turtle. We don't offer plastic straws. If you want a straw, we have a paper one. And I always, as a consumer, I thank restaurants when I see that stuff to let them know that I'm noticing I'm a consumer and I'm choosing to come to your restaurant because you've taken those steps. So absolutely, we've, we've seen a lot of businesses get on board but we kind of call the, you know, the bands and the policies are sort of those gateways to a bigger, larger discussion and movement. Listeners, if you are anywhere in the world and are you, you are currently, you know, involved in trying to understand plastic pollution more and through research side of things, I highly encourage you to reach out to Lauren and ask her more about her experience, more about the research that she does in terms of understanding, you know, the baseline of plastic pollution before and after bills get passed and all these sorts of things. Um, Also, if you're a listener around the world that is actively trying to get a single-use plastic item banned in your maybe it's just your school or maybe it's your town or maybe it's your your state or whatever um i also recommend reaching out to lauren and and her colleagues because she um again is very knowledgeable on on that subject and maui is setting a really great example for a way to respect the ocean and and respect the people that live there and the people that visit as well so um i will be linking to lauren's instagram channel when i post this podcast episode you can find her on instagram at one swell life and um she is always posting on there really awesome information about the beach cleanups that she hosts and the outreach events that she does and the research that she does and the policy side of things that she does so definitely check her out on instagram and like i said if you are interested in learning more about what she's been able to accomplish in reducing single-use plastics and ocean plastic pollution in general, uh, definitely feel free to reach out to her there. And then you can also check out her um, website. It's called swellinitiative.org, and um, it really details her initiative uh, to create a swell um, you know, on all fronts in terms of the ocean plastic pollution issue facing our oceans and planets. So um, definitely check those out. And I will link to those when I post this podcast episode. Um, Lauren, I want to thank you so much for all the positive change that you're creating for the ocean. It is seriously impressive. And um, I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thank you, Allison, for being a similar science communication female who's 
making big changes and for hosting me. I appreciate it. You just heard Lauren Blickley, a marine biologist based on Maui, creating waves of change when it comes to single-use plastic. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com and tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.